Okay, good evening everyone, welcome back. Pleasure being here with everyone. Another beautiful, fine week has gone by. And coming up on another Thursday night over here, rolling into the end of the week, coming into Shabbos. Kodesh, and got Parshas B'Shalach going on here tonight. Big Parsha. Lots of stuff going on in B'Shalach. Kind of chock full of lots of stuff. And uh, so let's go. Let's 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 uh, let's let us begin. We try to maybe cover two things tonight, which actually may be somewhat connected to one another. Um, first, let's talk about this. We have the first couple of Elias over here. We have Klal Yisrael. They're backing and forthing. They they leave Mitzrayim. They approach the desert. They kind of wander around in the desert to um, draw Paro's fire, so to speak. And get power to chase after them, power to assume that, you know, they're lost, they're clueless, they're hopeless, they don't know what they're doing. And when they make this uh, about face, so Yashukaych, Sisklamisashkaych. So we have this, um, if anyone has a Chumash, you can see this all together. Perakidal Posik Aleph. So Vaidabra Shalom Maishalaymor, this is the first time they have an instruction telling them to change their marching orders. They left Mitzrayim with all intentions of, of, of going to Eretz Yisrael via, via the desert. And Hashem says to Moshe in the beginning of Perak Yedal, Dabra b'nei Yisrael v'yashuvu, they should make in a bad face, Klai Yisrael should make in a bad face. V'yachanu l'fnei piachirois, let them make in a bad face, start traveling back the way they came from, and they should encamp in front of piachirois. Piachirois. The valley of freedom, the mouth of freedom, Bain Migdal Vain Hayom, between the tower and the ocean. And it's in front of this idol called the Northern Idol. They should encamp by the sea. Okay, so a lot of ge- geography over here, a lot of very specific instructions and details what they're supposed to do, where they're supposed to camp, and where they're supposed to march. Piachirois, Migdal, Yom, and Baltsafine. So first, Landmark that we've I, I, I encountered over here in, in telling us where, where they're, they're supposed to be going is Piachirois. They should encamp in front of Piachirois. What, what is Piachirois exactly? What's this? This valley of freedom, the mouth of freedom. So Rashi has what to say over here. It says Rashi Piachirois, who Pisoim is really Pisoim, the mouth of the Tahoim of the depths, and that's something that we know from Parsha Shemais. There was something called Pisoim and Ramses. Piachir is the same place as Pisam. So they're basically heading straight back to like, uh, no, to Cairo over here. Straight back to, to, um, the outskirts of Egypt where they were enslaved and they were laboring for so many years. Going back to Piachiros, Pisam. Why is it called Piachiros in this week's parashif and Shemais was called Pisam? Vachshav Nikra Piachiros. That area which was originally called Pisam is now called Piachiros. Al Shem. Shenasu Sham Benechairin. Why are we calling it now Piachiris? Because that's where Klai Yisrael became free people. That's where they became free men. That, by Piachiris. Piachiris, which is by this idol, which is between the tower and between, between the ocean, that's where Klai Yisrael became free, free people. And the obvious question we have to start off with is, what exactly happened by Piachiris that they became free? You know, if we would ask ourselves, where did Kleisel become free? Where exactly did their freedom begin? Where was their freedom chal? Where did their freedom take effect? Where did Kleisel become free? So we would give a number of answers. Maybe they came free 
when they walked out of Egypt, they became free. When they left, in last week's parsha, that's when they became free. And when, 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 when they walked out of Eretz Yisrael, they became free over there. Or perhaps we would say, you know where they became free? When they made it onto one side of the Amsuf, and the Mitzrayim drowned, they didn't make it out. They drowned in the Amsuf, and Klai Yisrael made it through the Amsuf, on the other side of the Amsuf. That's where they became free. So maybe these would be the two players, or maybe, you know, we would get, uh, very inspired. We say, you know where Klai Yisrael became free people? Behar Sinai, maybe, if we're very from. Be very from, very yeshivish. So we'd say, no, you know where they became free? Ain ben Chayrna, Elamisha Isaac, Batayra. They became free people at Har Sinai. Givaldic. That would be the third answer. So we have at least three different options, options where they became free. They became free when they left Egypt, the point of the departure, by the Amsterdam, the other side of the Amsterdam, maybe Har Sinai. What do you want to say, Abisha? And said, so where would that, where would your proposition for that be? Maybe stretch your question out for like another seven seconds. Maybe when they went to take the current Pesach. Yeah. That could be as well. Yes. Uh, and he's also suggesting maybe freedom was um, spiritual freedom when they, when they started bringing the current Pesach. So maybe even in Mitzrayim, that's where they became free. Good. A fourth option perhaps. You have all kinds of options as when Kleisel became free. But uh, what exactly happened over here? I mean, the Torah is telling us where they became free people, where they become free people. Uh, on the near side of the Yamsuf, you know, where they're about to have this showdown, this confrontation maybe, with, with Mitzrayim, they're um, between the tower and between the ocean. And Mitzrayim is going to be bearing down on them momentarily. That's Piachiroi, that's where they became free. What happened over here? They haven't crossed the Amsov yet. Mitzrayim hasn't been drowned in the Amsov yet. They haven't been saved from the Amsov. That's the other side. They already left Egypt. They already brought the Karm Pesach and they haven't gotten the Torah yet. What exactly happened over here? Why, why here they became free people? What was significant? What was this, with the event that happened over here? So, there is one thing that happened over here. One thing happened over here. And one thing that happened over here, that happened actually for the first time, and that's something that we have to identify and maybe pursue. What happened for the first time? So again, they come back, they have now the Amsuf behind them, they have Mitzrayim now in front of them, they have cliffs, snakes and scorpions, this is where they find themselves cornered, and indeed, Mitzrayim comes bearing down on them. That's the next Aliyah. Mitzrayim comes bearing down on them. This is Pasuk Tess. They find them sitting ducks there by the sea. Kolsus Rechev Paroi, all Paros horses, the Farosha, the Cheloi, his cavalry, his foot soldiers. Piachirois. Again, they're by Piachirois. Lifnei Baltzafoin. The Torah again stresses and emphasizes they're still by Piachirois. Pasuk Let's see Pasuk together. Uparo Hikriv, Paro comes, surges to the front of the troops. They look up, Givald, Mitzrayim is coming, they're coming fast. They're scared, yeah? Makes sense. Klai Yisrael cries out to God. They're cornered, 
They find themselves mamish with no way out, nowhere to go. And that's what mamish, the Medrash says. The yam is to their backs. Mitzrayim is at their fronts. They have cliffs on one side. They have a desert with, with dangerous uh, snakes, scorpions, and etc. On, on, the, on, the, on their left. They're cornered. They're backed into a corner. What do they do? They call out to Hashem. They scream out to Hashem. And there's a beautiful medrash that actually illustrates this. From a Pazak and Shir Hashirim, it says, Hashminius Says the Pazak and Shir Hashirim in Song of Songs. Song of Songs. Says, Yoinosi Asela, the dove that's Kleiso trapped in, 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 in the wall. He squeezed himself into this wall, into the cracks between the, the, the bricks over there. <clears throat> And why did that happen, that they're trapped in this wall? Because the Rebbe was saying, Harinius Maraich, Hashminius Kailech. Let me see your true colors, let me hear your voice. Hashminius Kailech. Let me hear you. Ki Kailech Arei Because your voice is so sweet and beautiful to me, says Hashem. I want to hear you. And indeed, Vayitzaku B'nei Yisrael Hashem. They scream out, they call out, they, they, they raise their voices in Tzvila, they dive into Hashem. And this is actually something the Klai Yisrael is now doing for the first time. Calling out to Hashem, screaming to Hashem. It does say in Shemois that they screamed and they were moaning and groaning and wailing from the severity of the slavery. But there it doesn't say that they called out to Hashem, they screamed to Hashem. It just says Vayitzaku. They screamed. They screamed. But not to the Rebbeinu Shalala. says in Parsh Shemois, it did say, and Hashem took note of this, Hashem heard it. But they didn't direct their cries to God at that point in time. They are groaning from the work. They screamed. They they wailed. They cried out. But not. It doesn't say Here we have for the very first time in history, Klal as a, a nation, collectively and communally is calling to Hashem, is davening to Hashem. So it said, said better, Klai in an Eist Tzorah, in a time of need, is directing their focus, directing their cries, and their tefillahs to the Rebbeinah Shalalim. And here, they become B'nai Chayrin. Here they become B'nai Chayrin. This is the significant um, act, act and 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 uh, development that happens over here by Pichayrin. This is what happens. Not the drowning of the Mitzrayim, and not the salvation of the Jews, and not the exit, exodus, and not to bring the Karm Pesach. What happens over here, this is the only thing that happens by Pichirois, is Kleisot Davni Hashem. And Chazal tell us that here, Shom Nasu Bnei Chayrin. Here they became Bnei Chayrin. Why does Davni Hashem make them into Bnei Chayrin? That makes them free people. They walked out of Mitzrayim, that makes them free people. They left the yoke of Paro behind, that makes them free people. Spiritual freedom, that makes them free people. What about davening? Why does that make them free people? So there's a, a beautiful, unbelievable idea going on over here. A beautiful insight into tefillah and into freedom. So yeah, of course we do know this Maimar Chazal. Of course. True freedom is to be found with those who are sitting and learning Torah. And there's different types of freedom, different angles of freedom, different slices and different facets of freedom. One facet of freedom is the person who is sitting and learning Torah. The person whose life is guided by the values of Torah, whose, whose decisions are made based on Torah. Good, that's, that's a certain amount of freedom. But there's another freedom that comes 
to the person who davens to Hashem. And not just davens to Hashem, but davens to Hashem in an ist sorrow, in a time of need, in a time of suffering, in a time of woe. There's another type of chayrus, of, of, of freedom. And what is that? That's as follows. Who's the biggest slave, Rabbi Yisai? Who's the biggest Eved? The biggest slave is the one that when he's suffering, he's a victim. When he has a time of need, he as, as, is at the mercy of his tormentors. That's the biggest Eved. The person who, again, when he's suffering, when he's being treated miserably, when he's being mistreated miserably. This person who sees himself as a victim of his tormentors, he's the biggest Eved. Biggest Eved. Because he's completely, totally dependent on somebody else. And dependent on somebody else who's making his life miserable. The one who sees himself, again, as a victim, the one who sees himself as someone who's suffering, the one who sees himself as just being stuck in an awful, horrible situation, is the biggest Eved. Ain't Eved alami the biggest Eved is the guy who's being who's suffering at the hands of others. Why is he the biggest Eved? Because he's stuck. He's at someone else's mercy, at someone else's in, under someone else's control, and for him, there's no way out. He's suffering. He's a victim. He's being victimized. He's a complete and total Eved. His only option is maybe to plead with his captor. To beg mercy from the person who's tormenting him. But again, he is beholden to someone else. He is dependent on someone else. He is at someone else's mercy. And this person who he's, who he's at the mercy of is mistreating him and abusing him. He's a big evid. The greatest ben Chiron is the one who realizes that he's never dependent on anyone else. He's never beholden to anyone. He's never really suffering. He's not a victim. A victim is someone who is beholden to someone who is being victimized by somebody else, who is dependent on someone else. And the biggest dependency can sometimes be a dependency on, on, on your tormentor. You're dependent on them. They're tormenting you. You're dependent on... They're, they're tormented. You're dependent on them to, to seize the torment. The biggest chayrus, the biggest freedom, and the biggest ben chayrin is the one who realizes... The one who realizes that... He's not an evit to anyone. And he's not meshubah to anyone. He's not dependent on anyone. And everything is ultimately coming from Hashem. And, and Hashem can end his suffering at any moment in time. The moment that Hashem wills it so. The moment Hashem says, okay, it's time for this guy's suffering to end. I'll say, die. To this person's saris. He's a ben chayr. Because he's not dependent on anyone. He's totally, totally within Hashem, in Hashem's hands. And Hashem has total power to change his plight and end his suffering like this without a moment's notice. He's the biggest Ben Chayron because he's above all suffering. He's above all tormenting. And he's the last person who's a victim. The last person who's an Eved because he's completely in Hashem's hands and he has whom to turn to under all circumstances, and whom to reach out to and to appeal to, no matter what the suffering is, no matter how bleak and, and, and desperate life gets, there's no desperation. Because he has a revival to dive into, because he's only in Hashem's sense, and only dependent on Hashem, 
and Hashem is kel mole rachamim. So Klal Yisrael is up against the wall. They're stuck. There's nowhere to go, nowhere to turn. So whom do they turn to? The Rebbeinah Instead of what? Raising the white flag. Instead of kneeling before the Mitzrayim, surrendering, returning themselves and saying, please have mercy on us. Then they're victims. Then they're dependent. Then they're being tormented. They turn to the Rebbeinah They scream, they cry, they call it HaKadosh Baruch They become Bnei Chayrin. Bnei Chayrin in the truest sense of the word. They're no one's slaves. And they're no one's victims because they're not victims. They're totally, totally, totally independent in HaKadosh Baruch Because that's a very nice idea. And this is, in fact, where they become B'nai Chayrin in the sense of transcending all suffering in the world, being above everything and anything. There's nothing that can bring them down. There's nothing that vic- can victimize them. Because there's no one to victimize them. They cannot be victims because they're completely dependent on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And the supreme moment of that realization is when they call it Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Rebbeinu save us. They become bnei chayr. Okay, and that's why we call pichirus. Very good. Let's move on to the parsha. Now let's talk a little bit about the 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 the, the, the highlights of the parsha that makes this parsha so big and so uh, exciting, so powerful that this Shabbos gets a special name. Right, the Shabbos of Parshas Bashach we call Shabbos Shira. This is Shabbos Shira, the, the, the Sabbath of the song. The Shabbos of the song. We sing. Az Yashir together in Shul. Well, we hear Az Yashir. We lay in Az Yashir. And this is the Shabbos, the Klai Yisrael sang song all together when they emerged on the other side of the Yamsuf and they saw the Mitzrayim draining the Yamsuf. Very dramatic, very climactic, sums up everything that happened in the last three Parshias. Now let's ask a question. Let's ask a couple of questions over here. First question is, why they wait so long? Why Klai Yisrael wait so long? I mean, you know, it's not like this is the first miracle they've seen um, since we started Shemais. They've seen Dam Tzadeya, Kinim Arba, etc., etc., Chayshech, Makas, Bechayrus. They've seen ten Makas. They've seen a Makas Bechayrus. They've seen all the firstborn die. They have brought a Korban Pesach un, un, uh, 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 unchallenged. They took the lamb that the Mitzrim worshipped and they brought it as, as, as a sacrifice, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and no one stopped them, no one blocked them. And again, there's Makkah after Makkah after Makkah after Makkah. They see in Mitzrayim such acts, clear acts of Hashem's supremacy, clear acts of Nisim, Gluyim, open miracles, and yet they don't sing Shir not even once, not on a single Makkah. You know, not on boils, not on locusts, not on moraine, not a single song, no shir takarish baruchu. Comes Kriyas Yamsuf, and okay, another miracle, another big miracle, the sea's part, okay, we've seen a lot of miracles, this is the 11th and 11th miracle. The sea's part, Klai marches through, come to the other side, now they sing shira. What's the pshat? What's that? Is that they waited so long, they couldn't sing shira till now? Why? why, why? Manishtana, the, the, the wonder and miracle of Kriyas Yamsuf, now they suddenly sing, and by the 10 makas they didn't. And not only that, just to make it you know, the Torah itself kind of makes it clear that there's a valid question to be asked over here. Because the Torah itself, in prefacing and introducing the song that they sang at the Yamsuf, the Torah itself says what? Has it, has it start? Oz Yashir. Oz Yashir. What does Oz Yashir mean? Then they sang. Oz Yashir. 
Interesting. And the Torah itself is coming to really emphasize this. It doesn't say, Vayoshir Moshe of Nesrol, Vayashiru. That's what we expect to say. And they sang. No, no, no. It says a word that didn't have to be there. A word that didn't have to be used. A word that's unusual that we have to pay attention to. Oz Yashir. Then they sang. Torah is making it very, very clear that up until this time, it wasn't the right time to sing. Now it suddenly becomes the right time to sing. Which again reinforces the question, the Vos Epis question, which is Vos Epis, which is why Taka wasn't at the right time to sing until this point in time, and why only now, excuse me, does it become the right time to sing? What's going on over here? Az Yashir. Az Yashir. Okay, that's one big question that has to be asked over here. Why is it now only this is the right time, the appropriate time to sing? Why, and, and why not by the Ten Makas? Like, what, what happened here that didn't happen by the Ten Makas? Another miracle. Nochanes, nochanes. An eleventh nace. The first ten weren't enough. The eleventh was, was suddenly enough to sing Shira. I was asking another question also, and this is the Pasuk right before Az Yashir. The end of Perek Yudalid. Pasuk Lamed Aleph. Right before Az Yashir, we have the following. Baryar Yisrael as Hayyara Gadoilo, Asher Asa Hashem B'Mitzrayim. Klai Yisrael saw the great, the great mighty hand that Hashem made in Mitzrayim. Hashem is, you know what Hashem did in Mitzrayim? Vayiru ha'ames Hashem. They feared God. Vayaminu ba'Hashem u'Moshe Avdoi. They have a moon on Hashem and in Moshe. So something else is unusual over here in that Vayiru ha'ames Hashem. The nation feared God. This is also something that's new. We didn't hear this till now. In none of the preceding ten makas did the Torah ever once say they feared God. Even by makas pechiris, it doesn't say that they feared God. And again, they saw ten makas. They said, saw ten mighty, catastrophic, and destructive acts of Hashem that were meted out to Mitzrayim. You certainly see the strength of Hashem. You see the, the wonder of Hashem. You see the might of Hashem. And if we're looking for reasons to fear God, certainly we would think that we saw it till now. Yet we don't find any mention of this in the first ten makas. Anything about them fearing God. It comes to Kriyas Yamsov. The splitting of the sea, we have, again for the first time, Vayiru Amas Hashem. The nation now fears God. What's introduced over here, that now they can have Yerushalayim, that up until this point in time, there's no Yerushalayim. What's happening? What's happening over here? So we're going to try to address these two questions together. And what these two questions really point out is that necessarily, there's got to be, <coughs> Rabbi Yisai, <coughs> something unique about Kriya Siyamsuf. There's got to be something new about Kriya Siyamsuf. There has to be something different about Kriyas Yamsuf that indeed makes it in its own system something on its own and not just an 11th Makkah. Clearly something unique about Kriyas Yamsuf. Because it would just be like, okay, Nocha Makkah, an 11th Makkah, then we have all these questions. There's just an 11th Makkah. How come the 11th they sing Shir, but the first time they don't? How come the 11th they have fear of God, the first time they don't? Clearly it's not an 11th Makkah. There's something different about Kriyas Yamsuf. So let's say that better. Let's establish two categories over here. There's something called the Ten Makas in Mitzrayim, and there's something called Kriyas Yamsuf, the splitting of the sea, but it's not an 11th Makas, it's some, something else, something unique, something that stands alone. What is it then? What is the Kriyas Yamsuf, and what does it represent, and how is it different than the Makas? What are the Makas, and what's Kriyas Yamsuf? So the emphasis is like this. If we pay close attention, we see that Kriyas Yamsuf is actually referred to something that does separate it out from the Makas. The Torah itself refers to Kriyas Yamsuf in a unique way, in an individualized way, in a way that separates it from all the other Makkas. And 
What is that? What is that term? What is that description? And and what is that uh, reference that the Torah sets up for how we refer to Kriyas Yamsuf, which indeed categorically makes it very different than the Makas? That is what? Torah constantly, we're going to bring a lot of proofs to this, we'll see, it's going to jump right out of this, constantly refers to Kriyas Yamsuf as a Milchama, a battle. It's called a Milchama. And we just pay attention, we see this all over the place. can bring a few examples just from the parsha itself. Um, the end of Shani. Okay? Perak Yadalad, Posak Yadalad. Yad Yad. Yad Hashem. Yad Ramo. Yad Yad, Yadalad, Yadalad, Perak Yadalad, Posak Yadalad. So, um, Klaisel starts to complain. Look, they're going to kill us. What should we do? Rebind us, you let us out here to die. So what does Moshe say back to them? Hashem yi lochem lochem v'atem tacharishun. Hashem will fight the Milchama for you, and you just remain silent, be quiet. Hashem will fight for you. Yi lochem is a lashon of Milchama. Hashem will wage the war. What war? What Milchama? Where is there Milchama? I don't know. But the Torah is saying, Hashem will fight, Hashem will be... Milchem, Hashem will fight a battle for you. Okay, interesting. We have in Shlishi. The end of Shlishi, the very last Pasuk Shlishi. This is down now Pasuk Chafei. This is as, as Mitriam, the Mitriam, the Egyptians are chasing them um, haphazardly into the seabed. They go right after Kleisol into the bottom of the Yamsu, which has been exposed. So um, they already begin to, um, it says that they're, they were charging forward and the mud got heated up and they start, their, 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 their wagons start to, to, to dismantle. The wheels of the chariot start to come off. They were unable to slow them down, though. They just keep charging ahead, splintering it to pieces. And the Egyptians see something, you know, something's up over here. This is bad news. Something funny is about to happen. We better flee. Because Hashem is battling. Hashem is fighting a war. Again, Nilcham. Yilochem. Nilcham. And once again, we have the Pasuk within Az Yashir itself. The famous Pasuk, what does it say? Az Yashir itself? Elon, you want to go for it? Who wants to go for it? Hashem Ishmulchama. Hashem Shemoy. Hashem Ishmulchama. Hashem is a man of war. Not a man, Rashi says, it means a master of war. Hashem is a master of war. Hashem Shemoy, and he fights with his name. Milchama. The Shiraz Hayam, the Shir that they're singing on Kriyas Yamsov. They're seeing on the fact that there was a Milcham, that Hashem fought a battle for them. So we have Hashem Yilachim Milcham, Nilcham, Milchama, Kriyas Yamsuf is a Milchama. We don't find this term in Mitzrayim by any of the ten Makkas. It doesn't say anything about a war. The ten Makkas were not a war. They were not a battle. Kriyas Yamsuf is a battle. Interesting. What, what does that mean? What does it mean it's a battle? What does it mean it's a war? And why were the ten Makkas, Makkas, ten plagues, not a war? And what makes Kriyas Yamsuf, yes, a war? What, what, what is this? But let, let's see. There's one more very Gishmaka proof to this. Not here, not in Shemais, it's actually in Sefer Devarim. We find the same thing yet again. Torah always refers to Kriyas Yamsuf as a battle, as a Muhammad. And this is in Parshas Vazchanan. Okay, the Torah has, recounts for us Kriyas Yamsuf and the Makos and Kabbalah Satoirah. And we have over here the following. Um, this is part, we learned this in Veschan, we also learned this on Tishabov. 
We also learn this parsha of Eschanon. It sounds like this. Okay, the Perek Dalid, Pasik Lamed Dalid. Here's Moshe reminding Klai so that no other nation has ever claimed to, as a nation, be taken out of another country, another land, with open miracles and wonders and signs. No other nation has ever had divine revelation. And Pasik Lamed Dalid, Moshe says, "Look, Oh Yanisa Lakim." Has God ever, not only no other nation has ever claimed this, and it's never happened with any other nation. Has God ever went out of his way, to pluck a nation from within another nation, through tests, through signs, through wonders? What's the next word? Anyone who has it together? And with war, with battle. So has God ever taken a nation from another nation with signs, wonders, miracles, and with war? Look at Rashi. Rashi says, Masois, that's Nisyonis. Okay, tests. But Isois is Simonim, signs. Everyone should see that Hashem is real. Mipsim is wonders. Niflois, Hem Niflois, Shehevi Alei Makas Miflois. Mipsim is a reference to the Makois. The Mulchama, what does Rashi say? With war, with battle, Rashi says, Biyam, at the Yamsuf. That's the Mulchama. Once again, Mulchama is Kriyas Yamsuf. We have no less than four proofs over here. The Torah always talks about Kriyas Yamsuf as a Mulchama. Vasmeit. What does that mean? What's the Mulchama? Where's this a Mulchama? What war? What battle? And why is it different than the Ten Makkas? So it's like this, Rabbi Said. Let's put it all together now. The Ten Makkas are not a battle, not a war. Kriyas Yamsuf is a war. A different experience. What are the Ten Makkas if they're not a war? And why is Kriyas Yamsuf a war? So, we know that Hashem has different levels of Hanhaga, different levels of interaction and action, different levels of how Hashem relates to the world, and different levels of what He reveals to the world. We know that Hashem has all kinds of different meters, all kinds of different characters, characteristics, character traits, attributes, and we know there's different systems that Hashem has, right? Different systems, different Hanhagas, different ways of interacting and dealing with the world. The ten makas, Klai Yisrael saw one system. They saw one level of Hashem's actions and interactions. One level of revelation. By the Yamsuf, they saw a different system. Different attribute, different meat of Hashem. And what they saw at the Yamsuf was even higher, actually. They saw at the Yamsuf was higher. This idea of whatever this Muhammad was, it was a higher revelation. It was a different system, a different attribute, a different Hanhog of Hashem. What's the Hanhog of Hashem that they saw by the ten makas? The Hanhaga of Hashem that they saw by the Ten Makas was a Hanhaga of what we call Mishpat, justice, Din. Din, Mishpat, justice. What Kleisel saw by the Ten Makas was the Rebbein Shalalim as a Shoifet, HaKadosh Baruch Hu as a judge. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is someone who meets out sentences and what people deserve. Justice, justness, and sentencing, and carrying out those sentences. That's what the Ten Makkas were all about. And we all know that every one of the Ten Makkas, everyone knows this, there's a Mita Kenega The frogs made a lot of noise and kept them up at night because the Mitzrayim wouldn't let the Jews sleep at night. The, the river turns into blood because the Mita Kenega they worshipped the river and also they shed a lot of Jewish blood, so the river turned to blood. And etc., etc., every single Makkah we know is Amida Kenegamida. Makas Bechiris. Why did their firstborn die? Because Bini Bechiris Yisrael. They enslaved, they started up 
They messed around with Klaisro. We are the Bechor. We are the firstborn of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So the firstborns of, 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 of the Egyptians have to die. Every Makkah is a Mita Kenegad Mita. Mita Kenegad Mita, measure for measure, is part of Hashem's Hanhogas when Hashem is a Hanhogas HaMishpat. When Hashem is acting as a judge, meeting out Din. Judging someone for their crimes and punishing them for their crimes. In other words, by the ten Makkahs, the Mitzrayim got exactly what they deserved. They got what they deserved. Then Klaiser leaves Mitzrayim. The Mitzrayim have already gotten what they deserved. The score has been settled. The books have been balanced. Makkah's Bechars was the worst, was the ultimate Makkah, and that was the one that was prophesied already in the beginning of Shemois. Hashem told Moshe about it first. He told, Par, told Moshe to tell Par about it first. Yeah, Hashem said, I'm not hiding anything. I'm not keeping anything back from you. There's going to be this Makkah called Makkah's Bechars. Okay? Makkah's Bechairus was the last of the ten Makkahs, and that was the one that settled all the scores. In other words, all the dues have been paid. In terms of the punishment, and in terms of the, the, the Egyptians having to suffer and, 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 and be punished for what they did to the Jews of Midah we have now settled the score. By the time we reach and arrive at the tenth Makkah, the, the accounts have been paid up. Everybody got that? Mishpat has been satisfied. The Midah of Din has been satisfied. Now, what happens? The Mitzrayim decide to pursue and decide to chase the Jews. They want them back. They want them back. So what's going to be? What's going to happen? Another Makkah? Another divine act of retribution? No. There's no more retribution. There's no more room to punish Mitzrayim. They already suffered. They suffered for everything that they... That they uh, Needed out to the Jews. Now, what is this now? This is this is a struggle, a power struggle. The Jews were slaves, okay. The Jews were part of the, the nationality of Mitzrayim. They were nationals, they were citizens. I don't know if they're citizens, second class citizens, third class citizens. They they're fleeing, they fled. They in fact lied to Paro. They misled Paro. They said we're only going for three days and then we're coming back. And they fled, they're not coming back. It's already day four, five, six, seven. This happens on the seventh day. Mitzrayim wants their citizens back. There's no room now for divine retribution. There's no room to punish Mitzrayim. There's nothing to punish them for. They already got punished. They already got all the punishment they need to get. The 210 years of Geras Avdesinu, they already paid it all off. By the time the 10th Makkah was around, they paid it all off. Now what's going on over here? They, they, they want the Yidin back. The Yidin fled. They chased after the Yidin to get them back. Okay, so there, there is What? A showdown. An epic battle. A milchama. Kriyas Yamsuf is now a milchama. It's a battle between two forces. A battle between the Jews, these ruffians, this band of slaves, the slave caste is trying to escape, and their <laughs> captors who want them back. Come back, get back here. But they haven't done anything wrong yet. The Jews, they're the ones that are in the wrong. They lied. They, 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 they smooth talked their way out of Egypt. They said they're only going through years. They're coming back. So come back, you know, we'll be much nicer to you this time around. You'll see, you'll come back. We'll be much nicer. We learned our lesson. We already got ten makas, makas b'chayrus. Come back. We'll give you preferential treatment. We'll, we'll, we'll give you better jobs. We'll give you a corner office in the pyramids over there. You'll be, you'll be great. You'll be much better off. But, but come back. You guys have to come back. There's a showdown. A milchama. A battle between two forces. And the stage is set for an epic showdown, for an epic battle. And not only that, 
This battle, if we look very closely, pay very careful attention to the, to the, to the parasha and to Rashi over here, this was a battle that the Jews were actually supposed to lose. They were supposed to lose this battle. They were outnumbered, over, overwhelmed, and, 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 and uh, outflanked, outnumbered, and outpowered. And even on a cosmic level, they were supposed to lose. Where do you see that on a cosmic level they were supposed to lose? Half of the fell. Look at this, Rabbi Say. Rashi says. When Klaizro gets terrified, they call it to Hashem. Let's go back to Perak Yudal Pasuk Yud. Ufaro Hikrit, Faro is approaching. Bayisub Ne Israel say Nayam. Klaizro lifts up their eyes. Vihine Mitzrayim Naysay Achraim. They see Mitzrayim traveling after them. Mitzrayim, in singular. Egypt is traveling. Why Egypt and not the Egyptians? So what does Rashi say, famous Rashi? Rashi says, Egypt is traveling after them. They see the, the guardian angel of Egypt traveling together with Egypt to defeat them. What does it mean that they saw the Sar of Mitzrayim? The guardian angel of Egypt. That means they saw up in Shemayim that Egypt was supposed to win, and they were supposed to lose. Because Egypt's sar is there to, to win the battle for, 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 for Mitzrayim. That's what it means they saw the sar of Egypt. They were really supposed to lose. And, <clears throat> there's another Rashi. Here, Pasuk Yotas, a little further. The Malach of Elohim went to, to, divide, to divide between, create a buffer and a barrier between Egypt and, and Klaiso. But it says Elohim. Elohim we know is Midas Hadin. Why is the Malchamidus Hadin coming to create a buffer? So Rashi says something unbelievable. Ain Elokim b'chol makom eladin says Rashi in pasuk Yates. Malamet shal Yisrael nusunim badin boyzasha im linatli im lehavin im etzrayim. Klaisol's fate was hanging in the balance. Should they be spared or should they be destroyed? There was a real serious suffolk in Shemaim. Maybe they should be destroyed. The sour of Mitzrayim is coming. Why? What do you mean? There's a suffolk if they should be destroyed, they should be spared. Yeah, it's a mulchamah. It's not punishing the time anymore. It's not retribution anymore. They received all the punishments that they need to. The books have been balanced. The accounts have all been paid up. Now this is just a Muhammad showdown. Who's going to win? I don't know. Maybe Mitzrayim is going to win. Maybe the Taka is going to win. They call they even go back again. This is the showdown, and this is the Muhammad. As opposed to the ten makis, which again were retribution and din and and, and mishpat. I just anyways, it's late. I just want to show the Eilim bring lots of sources, lots of proofs to. This whole uh, idea from lots of different places. Let's see one more beautiful idea that shows us, you know, again, this split between the Ten Makas and Kriyas Yamsuf is already by the Brisbane of Asarim, you see this. It says the Brisbane of Asarim, Hashem foretold to Avram Avinu everything that's going to happen in Egypt, Perak Tezvav and Bereshis, Pasuk Yodalad, When it's time for them to leave Egypt, I will... Dan, I will judge the nation that they that 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 that, that, that uh, enslaved them. I will judge them. Says Rashi, I will judge them. The Esther Makis with the ten Makis. So we see right. What, what do you mean the ten Makis? Hashem judge them with ten Makis and with the Kriyas Yamsuf. No, Kriyas Yamsuf is not din. It's not Hashem damning them. It's not Hashem judging them. Ten Makis are retribution. That's the judgment. Kriyas Yamsuf is something else. What is it? It's a Muhammad. And again, in this Muhammad, the stage is set for the showdown, and there's no retribution anymore, there's no room to punish, to punish Mitzrayim, and, and therefore save Klaisro. And, it looks like Klaisro may indeed lose. They may lose the battle. They may have to be schlepped back to Mitzrayim. The Tsar of Egypt is coming. 
And there's Malach HaLakim. Their fate is hanging in the balance. And yet what happens? Hashem Yilachem Lachem. Hashem will fight your battle. Hashem Yishmilchama. Hashem Nilcham Lahem B'Mitzrayim. Who comes in to fight the battle in the end? The Rebbe Yishmilchama himself. HaKadosh Baruch Hu fights our battle. And that's something unbelievable, and that's something amazing, and that's something unprecedented. That what? We're not talking about Mitzrayim being punished anymore. We're not talking about Mitzrayim getting comeuppance. That we understand. Hashem is a shayfeh. Hashem is a dying. Hashem punishes. Hashem punishes people who wrong him. That we saw in Egypt. We saw that ten times already. This is not punishment anymore. This is not retribution. This is a mechama. This is a showdown between us and them. We don't know who's going to win, who's going to lose. We may in fact lose. We're outnumbered. We're, 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 we're the weaker army over here. We're the weaker forces. And yet, Hashem Ishmochama. Who fights the battle for us at the end of the day? The Rebbeisham himself, he fought our battle. He fought the fight for us. Even though Mitzrayim didn't deserve to be punished, Mitzrayim didn't deserve to lose, in fact, they probably were going to win. But Hashem fought the battle for Klaizro. What does that show? Klaizro, something unbelievable. Something, what? That when all the cards are down, and Klaizro's fate hangs in the balance, and we don't know, ultimately, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I have a personal interest in the Jews. I have a personal interest in seeing them winning. Yes, this is a Muhammad, but my interest and my bias is on this team. This is the winning team. I'm picking the winning team. I'm going to throw the battle. I'm throwing the battle. And I'm going to squash the Mitzrayim and raise the Jews. I'm going to throw this one. The Jews are going to win. I'm going to fight the battle for them. There's no reason to be to do that. Mitzrayim doesn't deserve to get punished. The only thing that they see is a glimpse of what? Ultimately, Hashem has his favorites. Hashem picks his favorites. And Klaistro is Hashem's favorites. And Klaistro is who Hashem is always going to be. Uh, slanting things in their favor, even if Mitzrayim doesn't deserve to be punished. And this rabbi says, a gilu, a revelation, that's way above the Makkas. Way above anything that they saw till that point in time. The Makkas, they see Din. They see Mishpat. Okay, that we get. If someone, if someone crosses God, God has to punish them. But that even beyond that, God has favorites and he picks his favorites. That's something we didn't see in Mitzrayim, something we didn't see by the Makkas. That's something brand new. Oz Yashir B'nai Yisrael, Moshe B'nai Yisrael. That deserves a shir. That's what they're singing for. They're singing for this glimpse into eternity, this glimpse of this higher revelation. There's something called Yichud, there's something called Kodesh Baruch throwing the game and picking his favorites and deciding the outcome, even if it was supposed to be the other way. Oz Yashir Moshe B'nai Yisrael. This is why they sang... And just the sorrow, you have to go to Meir, but Vayiru Am is Hashem. That's why only here they have Vayiru Am. Why did they have any year as Shemaim by the Ten Makkas? How come only by Kriyas Yamsa they have Yira? Because again, Yira doesn't mean, I'm not talking about low level Yira, fear of God, of his, of, of, of Yira's Ha'inish, fear of Hashem's ability to punish. We're talking about the ultimate fear, which is really awe. Awe of God's Yichud, of how amazing, how vast, how, how unbelievable, unfathomable God is. And until Kriyas Yamsov, they have a glimpse of a lower system of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the system of Mishpat. By Kriyas Yamsov, they have a glimpse of the highest system possible, which is why they sing, and why we have over here, Vayiru HaAmes Hashem, they have true years Raimimus, awe of the, the grandeur of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which only comes to now when they see the glimpse into the grandeur of the highest system of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He has his favorites, he throws the game, and his Klaiso is going to eternity and no one else. Okay, thank you all for joining. Everyone have a wonderful Shabbos, Kodesh.